Uh, well, good morning, everyone. Um, thank you for this opportunity. It seems quite a long time since I was last here. Lots have happened over the last two years or thereabouts. Uh, we are actually now uh, Grace Mount Community Church. is no longer Grace Mount Community Church. It's just across the road. Uh, we meet in the Faith Mission. Um, they've been very kind to us because we were homeless um, because of the COVID um, restrictions. The day centre we previously met in uh, wasn't prepared to let us back in. And the Faith Mission very kindly helped us out. And so we're just across the road. Uh, I think there's plenty of work for us all. Um, so we're really happy to be your neighbours and be involved in the same, the same war, the same challenge, the same prospect that God has set before us. Um, so it's really great to be here today. Uh, we pray for you. Um, please pray for us um, as we try to be God's people in this place. If you've got a Bible, please turn to that uh, part of the Bible we just had read to us, Hebrews chapter 9. That's where we're going to be thinking this morning. Let me just give you a little bit of an introduction to this letter. I don't know, you've probably not been here for a little while. I think it falls into the category of some of the more difficult stuff in the Bible. Um, so let me just kind of get a little kind of feel for it. This is a letter written by an absent pastor to his church family. We don't know why he's absent. He might be in prison. But he's writing to his church, to his church family. And this is a church with a noble heritage. He makes mention of it. They are people who have stood their ground in a fierce contest of suffering. They felt, they felt the pressure. They've stood with people who are suffering. They've even experienced the confiscation of their property happily. Their homes have been acquired. Their possessions have been taken away. He describes them as people who have shown their love for God by the way they help each other. They are a noble church, or at least they have been. But what you realize is that something has changed. He goes on like this. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end. We do not want you to become lazy. Now, one of the insights you get of sin in Hebrews is that sometimes it shows itself as laziness. There are two sides to sin. One is that we kind of imagine ourselves as in, in charge and control. But it also has this other side to it. Sin is laziness. The spiritual couch potato. The slightly overweight ex-sportsman who now occupies the sofa and offers opinions about other people. And you get these little glimpses in this letter of how that plays out. There are people in this church who have got into the habit of not meeting together. They don't show up on a Sunday. He says, though by this time you should be teachers, you should be active, you need somebody to teach you this 
basic stuff all over again. Now, obviously, the mirror image of the kind of spiritual couch potato is the spiritual marathon runner. Person who just keeps plodding on, persevering. And you'll see in Hebrews, he says that that's what authentic Christian ministry looks like. That's what we're aiming for. Now, now we don't know what it is brought about this decline in the church in the first century. But we do know what has caused trouble for us today. Here we are in this situation where we've experienced the lockdowns and the restrictions and the Zoom. And consequent on that, many churches have seen significant numbers of people getting into the habit of not meeting together as the Lord's people on a Sunday. And even where people have turned up again, often there is less of an appetite for Christian service. Yeah, I've done it for so many years, but I'm going to take a step back. Now, sometimes that might be right. There is clearly a time to start. I used to be a pastor. (laughs) I've retired from that. I don't do it anymore. There is a time for stopping. We understand that. But there is no retirement from Christian service. Right. That's That's a given. And there's a sense in which the church in the UK, and I've got no, I am not speaking to you as as specific, as a specific church. But the church in the UK today is in Hebrews territory. This is where we find ourselves two years down the line from what has been taking place. But here's the interesting thing about this letter. This letter is not someone just shouting at people, do you know what? You should run faster and jump higher. No. This is a letter that largely just opens up for us what Christ did for us by his death. That's the whole passion of this letter. So the right at the heart of it. Because this is a pastor who understands that all life flows from the cross of Jesus. And the clearer we are and the deeper our appreciation of what took place that day, so will determine our spiritual life and strength. I'm going to say two things this morning. And these two things come out of verse 14. So let's look at verse 14. It's the the place I want to just kind of fix your attention. Listen to these great words that you get in this uh, In this letter, chapter 9, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Number one, the God of the Bible is astonishingly generous. God has not just settled for giving us a functional world. Now, the world does function, but it doesn't just function. 
God has not simply given us some substance that brings nourishment to our bodies. He has given us a variety of foods. Your tongue has that ability, those those taste buds, to determine what is sweet and what is sharp, because that's the way that God has made us. Not because we need those things, but because he is generous. All food doesn't taste the same. Each new day doesn't arrive in the same way. Storm clouds one day, stunning sunrises the next. Think of the variety and the beauty of trees or birds or whatever else you might like to think about. We, we, we have an astonishingly generous God. But that lavish generosity extends to his salvation plans. In other words, God is not just content himself with forgiving our sins. Great though that might be. Nor does he just content himself with giving us a pass to get into heaven. Oh, no, no, no. There is, there is a more to this amazing event, which is what Hebrews wants to unpack for us, so that we might appreciate these things. Now, have a look at the verse, and you'll see that it begins with the words, how much more? How much more than what? What's he talking about? How much more? the sacrifice of Jesus achieves than that of a sacrificed animal. Uh, have a glance at verse 13 where he talks about the, so they are outwardly clean. He's talking about the people in the Old Testament who offer their bulls and goats and become outwardly clean. The sacrifices, in other words, make it possible for these people to take part in the festivals and the ceremonies if you like, it's their kind of negative test. So you can come and be part of the, the, the company. But what you can't do is you can't go through the curtain into the presence of God. No, you can't do that. That is a privilege only allowed by to one man for a brief period of time on one day of the year. Now, you and I live in a culture that kind of plots people on, let's say, the wealth graph. So at one end, we've got homeless people and people on benefit. And at the other end, you've got people like Musk and Bezos and uh, uh, those kind of uh, big spenders, Gates. Find your place, uh, working class, or you're down here. Middle, you're doing better up, up here. No. You might do the same on, on looks. Ugly to beautiful. You might do the same on uh, intellect. Not so clever. Really, really smart. That's how our system works, isn't it? It has a line, can plot people on that line. You turn to the Bible, none of that is there. The line goes from defiled through unclean to clean to holy. That is the only line that matters. That's what the Bible sets people on, on that line. So you've got the defiled pagan, you've got the unclean leper, you've got the cleansed priest, and at the top of the list, you've got the high priest. The man who, after meticulous preparations, can enter in, has the purity, has the cleanliness to get just in through the door for a brief second. 
the high point of the Old Testament. Now, why can he only stay for a few moments? Because it's a cleanliness thing. Verse 9, it says, These sacrifices were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipper. Talks about sins committed in ignorance or unintentional sin. That's all that the Old Testament could manage, to deal with your unintentional sin. The problem for me is that most of my sin is intentional. And where does intentional sin lodge itself? Right in your conscience. Do you know what? You should not have said that. You should not have done those things. You hear the voice? You hear it in your head? That's where sin goes. But here's this gracious thing that God has done for us. Through the death of Jesus, he has, as it were, jet washed the graffiti of sin from the walls of our consciences. Now, he doesn't have to do that. It is enough, surely, to forgive us and give us a place in his kingdom in the future. But he has gone a step further. Cleansing our consciences. Now, Here's the question you need to ask. If you're with me so far, let let me make sure you ask this question. But why has he done that? And the answer is, and you see it in the text there, so that we can serve the living God. But because of the way this chapter is set up, you know exactly the kind of service he's talking about. He's talking about the service of the high priest that has access into the presence of God. To present to him the needs and the requests of others. That's the big idea. If you're a Christian, unlike the Old Testament high priest who could only go one day a year, you have permanent access. Access is a big deal, isn't it? Um, Last week, the the kind of political chat was about where certain people paying for access to the prime minister, paying for his wallpaper so they could get access. Um, People get very delighted to be able to access the first class lounge when they're traveling. Um, People pay lots of money to access the hospitality at sporting venues All that is absolutely trivial and insignificant compared to the access that is granted to the Christian through the death of Jesus that gets you into the presence of God. Some might say the high point of of Hebrews is in chapter 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near to God. Wow. And we are there to present, like the high priest, we are there to present the needs of others to the Father. That might be the isolated, the imprisoned, the persecuted, the missing, uh, the lost. Now, having said that Christ cleanses our consciences, we're not saying 
that we'll never get it wrong or sin is the kind of equivalent of the dinosaur that troubled people thousands of years ago but doesn't bother us today. No, sin is the war that I fight every day. And sometimes, sometimes I lose that war. And I guess you do too. The question is not, do I sin? The question is, what do you do with your sin when you sin? When you get into the taxi of guilt, imagine this. One of these nice, iconic New York yellow taxis. The taxi of guilt. You get in the taxi and what happens? The man turns around and he says, where to? Where do you tell the taxi to go to? Do you tell it to drive to distraction? Uh, Take me to a movie. Take me to a film. Take me to a book. Take me to a newspaper. Take me somewhere where I'm not going to think about things. Or do you say, take me to the throne of grace? Where you meet the sympathetic high priest who amazingly doesn't simply feel sympathy for our suffering. Astonishing this. This is Hebrews chapter 4. But feels sympathy for our sin and dispenses grace and mercy to us for the situations of our lives. We have an incredibly generous God. Delight in it. Now here's the other thing I want to say today. Only two things. Here's the other thing from this from this verse. We have a willing helper. Now what if the service of God meets you and I as something distasteful? What if it seems too much? What it seems what if it seems to threaten and encroach on the life of my home or my family? Maybe we genuinely want to serve God, but we just feel overwhelmed by the whole thing. What, what should you do in that situation? Now, there's a number of contrasts in this chapter. Um, consider the contrast between the Levit- Levitical sacrifices, unintentional, sin-covered, in contrast to the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus that deals with our deliberate, willing, intentional sin. And of course, that's the key difference. Sacrifice is meant to be an equivalent thing. Uh, one being gives up his life for another being. But no bull or goat ever got out of its bed in the morning and thought to himself, do you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to give myself as a sacrifice. No. Its will is not involved in the process. The only reason it's dead is because somebody put a rope around its neck and took it to the butchers. But the Lord Jesus is willing. He he meets the need of my intentional sin by his willing sacrifice. These two things meet each other at the cross. Verse 14 speaks about Christ who offered himself unblemished to God. Here's a couple of little in, insights into that that you get from the Gospels. Okay. John chapter 2. Uh, John's describing this uh, this wedding at Cana. You probably know the story. And Jesus' mother comes to Jesus and she says to him, uh, they've no more wine. This is the reply that Jesus makes. Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour is not yet come. 
Jesus is saying, hey, this is not my mess. Uh, I'm not responsible for this. But John wants you to see that Jesus is working on a bigger canvas. That little phrase at the end, my hour has not yet come, tells you he's not specifically concerned about this little wedding ceremony in a village. He's thinking about the big wedding banquet at the end of time, which is not going to happen Not because some groom hasn't got the catering organized properly, but because the bride has proved unfaithful. Can you imagine a little conversation between the father and the son? Uh, They look on this rebellious world and the son looks at the father and says, that is not my mess. Yeah. That's absolutely right. It's not his mess. And yet, though it is not his mess, he is willing to become involved. So here's another little glimpse from the the Gospels. We've just had Christmas. The Christmas story focuses in on Joseph's godly reaction when he learns of Mary's apparent unfaithfulness. She is with child. This is how Matthew describes that. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, And yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now godly Joseph, as it were, goes. I'll take a step back. I don't want to be involved. Um, Godly Joseph is the best that the Old Testament can offer. The word that the Old Testament prescribes for sin is separation separate yourself from it now in that same little passage where it's describing joseph taking a step back from his apparently shame-filled wife we read of this child who will be called jesus because he will save his people from their sins in other words the movement is all in the other direction he comes into this situation he enters into this world you watch his progress in the gospels and he sits with tax collectors and prostitutes and he shares meals with them and he becomes involved in their lives and he touches them but the crisis comes at gethsemane when it's not simply entering into this world It's not simply becoming involved in the lives of prostitutes and tax collectors. Now the prospect that is before him is of standing in their shoes and experiencing their lot. And the human will of Jesus recoils at the prospect. Take this cup away from me. Now, here's the question. Now, we know that Jesus will go and drink the cup. But here's the question. Are we simply to see Jesus as a man of iron resolve as he walks towards torture and humiliation and terrifying abandonment? Are you meant to just see him as just a kind of really, you know, he's just a rugged individual. He's just a tough guy. No, you're not. Do you see what the text says? See what it says? 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. The spirit and the son combine in this great mission. You see, you have to think in the drama of Gethsemane, as Jesus humanly recalls from the cross, that the Holy Spirit is active in that situation. That he works internally to incline and dispose and to strengthen the resolve of the Son of God for the service of God. Even to the extent of drinking that dreadful cup. In other words, the church does not progress through having courageous and self-reliant people. Peter was a brave soldier in the garden and he dared to follow Jesus into the lion's den but at one point his own resources failed him. The great thing about the death of Jesus or no, another great thing about the death of Jesus is that he wins for us the gift of the Spirit. If if you've got a Bible open just glance across to verse 10 of chapter 8 where you read in the New Covenant God saying, I'll put my laws in their minds And write them on their hearts. That is specifically describing the ministry of the Spirit. What is the Spirit given for? He is given to incline me to the will of God. He is given to stir up within me an appetite for the service of God. That is his ministry that he has. And as he does for Jesus at the cross... So he would be that to his people as they face the challenge of the service of God. When it comes to the service of God, the problem is never our skill level or our energies or our time. It's always a problem for willingness. So let me finish by putting two questions to you. You might take these away today. You might forget everything else. Take these questions away with you and just think about them. Okay, number one, in 2022, will you live out the purpose for which Christ cleansed your conscience? Will you live out the purpose for which Christ Christ cleansed your conscience so that you, you will confidently enter the presence of God and serve others with your prayers? Will you make that resolve? That's what I'm going to do this year. Here's question number two. In 2022, when the service of God meets you as something difficult or distasteful, will you deliberately seek the help of the Holy Spirit and ask him to change your mind? Let's pray together. We worship you, Lord God, as our amazingly generous creator and giver. We thank you for the richness of the death of the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your willingness. Holy Spirit, we bless you for the enabling that you brought to the life of the Son of God that brings about this great salvation for us. Pray, Lord, that these things may not be in vain in our lives. Pray that we'd enter fully into the life that you have for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.